Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Wait, so you really want to make a podcast? Do, 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 do. Yeah, what if we just sang our um, music? Maybe we should get some real music, Samantha. The podcast came. Are oh, you still recording? Three, two. Survival Jobs is a podcast spotlighting artists, their side hustles, and their passions. Hosted by Samantha Titsolo and Jason A. Coombs. Boom. Sweet. Okay. Love it. Happy season finale. How on earth did we get here? Well, you know, your parents met <laughs> a long time ago. My parents met a long time ago. Jason, that was funny and really quick. <laughs> How are you feeling on the season one finale, Jay? I am very proud of us. Oh, I my think, God. Yeah, I think we did something special here. And I think the how everything has unfolded has been really beautiful i know we took like a little bit of a hiatus in between to rejuvenate we had and (laughs) i think we had no i think i think we did you know i think we definitely did you know and um i think that was good for us because we were able to stay sane and then to come back hot and i think ever since we came back it's been you know inspiring guests which we had before and i'm saying like anything but like i feel like for us there was a switch within us of like yeah and we got people that we didn't know, you know, like, so like, right. I think it opens up a whole world of just like, you know, more, more wisdom and connections and, and excitement. Right. Um, which I think is really cool. And then, yeah, I'm just really proud of us. I am Very too. Grateful. I am so grateful. And I'm, I am so proud of us too. This is not like a walk in the park to, to, to cut no. out time to do this, you know, and, <laughs> and it, it's, Making a podcast is hard, y'all. Yeah, (laughs) and in the time, we both have like our survival jobs and our lives and to to find time to do this, not only record, but to edit it and to get that Instagram lit, you know, it's it's another job, essentially. It's a job that we love. Yeah. It's true. You know, so so you got to keep carving out the time for the things that make you happy and for your arts and all of the things but i love you and i'm i'm proud of us too love you too yeah i'm grateful for you yeah and i'm grateful for westcon (laughs) (laughs) for bringing us together yeah there's definitely lots of positives about Mm -hmm. (laughs) westcon yeah for sure (laughs) jason do you have a favorite memory from season one i think my favorite memories of season one 
that's really i mean i i came with that question i didn't even know the answer to it i th- i think <laughs> it's just really it's it's you know just talk i mean i enjoy talking to people you know i really enjoy the whole process of getting inspiration and and sharing you know these aha moments that we come to sometimes with our guests and you know making connections and finding inspiration i remember you said it one time that you're like me and jason we're, we're big suckers for inspirational we stories are. And I was like, we are <laughs> i was like we definitely are we fully like, love a good inspiring moment or someone to tell mm-hmm. us to like follow your dreams and it's gonna be okay and all the things all the things right and um and I, I love that like you know that's always like a theme right of follow your dreams and find follow your passion and you can do it and just do it but everybody says it and gets there in a different way right it's always unique you know no one no one's two stories are the same you know no matter if they're like we just had our all you know six of our guests for black history month you know like everybody's always different you know like it's it's really beautiful and i think we've done a really good job of trying to make our guests as diverse as possible, you know, trying to get different kinds of artists and, and of different backgrounds and, you know, of different orientations. 100%. And, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a beautiful thing. And it's one of my favorite parts. Years. Wow. I feel very similarly to you about talking to people and, and learning from guests and, and taking their wisdom and knowledge and their journeys and sort of applying it to my own and our own. And, and, and that's been really awesome. Uh, a great memory I have though, is the Bridgeport film fest. And that was like survival jobs on that carpet, like going live, mm-hmm. supporting you and like survival jobs on that step and repeat. I feel like that was a really big <laughs> moment for us to be mm-hmm. like, not that we didn't think we were doing something prior or me at mm-hmm. least, but being there and I hadn't seen you in person yet in so oh, yeah. long. Mm-hmm. And, and so just to be together and then going live and, and on the Instagram and like people were coming up to me at the Bridgeport film festival saying like, Hey, I love what you guys are doing. Like keep it up. And so for mm-hmm. me, that moment, made all of it sort of real, you know, like, oh my God, yeah. we're doing a thing. Cause you know, we were locked up in the pandemic, just like recording, which is amazing. But mm-hmm. then to be there hearing feedback, be there with you. So that's one of my favorite memories. And also the guests that I had known personally coming on and sharing their stories. That's also really special. Like Robin, of course, Bly, Mike, like these people mm-hmm. I've known for years coming yeah. on and supporting our, our project and our art. Yeah. Way. Um, and then just being vulnerable and open and sharing their stories. And I learned a lot about friends that I've known for years. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's really beautiful. And I'm, I'm so happy. I really, really Same. am so happy. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, I, we always gushed about each other multiple times, but don't start. Thank you. No, just Don't say thank start you. with me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you for just, you know, inviting me to be a part of something really special. And I just wanted to ask you if you want to share one thing you learned about yourself after producing 28 episodes of a wow. podcast. Okay. First, I want to thank you. Uh, back at you. <laughs> because yes, sure, I invited you to join me. However... There is no SJ without the J. 
no SJP, man. You know what I'm saying? And I know we've shared this story before, but I didn't even know I needed a mic. I had no idea how to do (laughs) any of this. So what have I learned, I guess, about the podcast world is everything. And I learned it all from you, right? Mm. Like I had no idea. I didn't even know podcasts were called a season first time around. (laughs) I didn't. I was like, what? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. How does one even <laughs> listen to a podcast? Jason, what is a podcast? I have this idea, but I don't know what a podcast is. So thank you. And I guess personally, what I've learned about myself is, uh, you know, you can go a long way once you knock down your insecurities and, and self-doubts. How about mm. you, babe? How about you? Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's like, I think it's just, you know, maybe not something I learned, but it was a reminder to say yes, you know, say yes to things. I think last year, you know, we were in this pandemic and it was, you know, looking pretty bleak, like last, when we, you know, last winter, when it was just like winter depression anyway, but on top of, you know, being in a pandemic. And it's like, sometimes you just like, oh, you feel like, oh, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And it's like saying yes to something can kind of like change your life. And that was like a really great reminder. I love that. I, I did read Western name's book, um, Shonda Ryan's book, just Year of Yes. The Year of so That's yes. why I learned it from her. But the yeah, yes. <laughs> they're putting that into motion. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of books, I think in Kathy Griffin's book, she says something like, take every opportunity that comes your way. She said she took every offer, every job that came her way. She didn't turn anything down. And it just led her, you know, to where she where she is and and, and taught her about her journey, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, enough about us. <laughs> or there's never enough about us. Just kidding. Just <laughs> well, kidding. Uh, I didn't get to watch the whole SAG Awards last night, but we got to see our boy on the red carpet. Oh, my God. Shout out to Robin. Let me tell you, my eyes were glued to that screen from the time the red carpet started to <laughs> the time that the award show ended. It was such a surreal moment for me as one of Robin's closest friends to sit and watch an award show and have him be there because we something when we lived together something we loved to do like two big artistic nerds is we would literally stay up until four in the morning watching like fierce acceptance speeches i mean we did it a week ago also like (laughs) octavia spencer lupita julia robert like we were watching all of these fierce speeches and so Mm -hmm. i had a moment as his friend like, oh my God, this is what we did on the couch together. And now dude yeah. is there in person. So I'm just so proud of him. And he looked so hot. He did. Um, that little beard and that yeah, little throw. Yeah. That little chest so, was out. Yeah. <laughs> he was hot. I was like, damn, maybe you're looking hot. Hey, Zaddy. <laughs> zaddy zaddy um yeah no but the awards were it was actually a great award show and there were some really great speeches jessica chastain's speech was amazing and so inspiring just like bringing it back to us being such suckers for inspiration like i love a good uh, speech when when the actors are like hey you other actors watching like don't give up keep it going and and that's always a really nice moment. But the awards were good. It's it's nice to have real award shows back. Meaning, like, you know, in the pandemic, we had all these, like, uh, versions of what award shows used to be. But having when, it back, <laughs> yeah. What was the one we were going to people? Was it the Emmys? And they were, like, people were going to people's houses and, like, 
in hazmat suits. First day outside their house in hazmat suits. And then if they won, they would like go inside of the award. But if they didn't, they would just like leave. They would leave. <laughs> like, how do you book that gig, number one? Yeah. So yeah. Was, I'm going to be hazmat like, delivery guy, number one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's probably so fun. And also then you're holding an Emmy. And then we'll hold our own one day, Jay. You and I, baby. Yeah. Yeah, I worked at this production company for like a couple of days and they had this room full of Emmys. And I was like, oh, my God, it was like, ooh. it was like eight Emmys they won. Um, oh, my God. I also love that you just talked about a survival job and we didn't even mean to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Look at that. Always bringing it back to yeah. our survival jobs, people back to our roots. Look at that. Should we talk about our guest today? Our season one ooh. finale guest. <laughs> so let's talk about our boy. Our, our friend Douglas, Douglas Lyons. Yes. Um, we'll we'll talk about how he came when when we bring him in, we'll talk about how he came to us because it's just a fate is funny and life is funny and the world is a lot smaller than than we think. Mm-hmm. But we're so excited to talk to Douglas today. He is just a force and so talented and and such an amazing artist and mm-hmm. and person. So Let me tell you guys a little bit about him. Douglas Lyons is an actor, writer, director, composer, lyricist, and playwright. Uh, Hello. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He served as a writer. Yeah. Gold. What? Like, huh? Uh, He served as a writer and composer on Apple TV's 2022 series, Fraggle Rock. Douglas received a GLAAD nomination for his Broadway playwriting debut, Chicken and Biscuits. His music and lyrics have been featured on BET Plus, CBS's Morning Show, Carnegie Hall's Voices of Hope Festival, and Lincoln Center's Broadway Songbook Series. Mm, No big deal. No big deal. Just, you know, BET and having us writing on a show for Apple TV and yeah, GLAAD nomination. No big deal. Chicken and Biscuits. No big deal. The highlights of the 2021 season on Broadway. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> but um, as an actor, he's appeared on Broadway in The Book of Mormon and Beautiful, which he was an original cast, as well as tours of Rent and Dream Girls. Uh, other theater ah! writing credits include Polka Dots, Off-Broadway Alliance winner, Best Family Show with the Atlantic Theater Company. Bo at the Adirondack Theater Festival and Five Points currently in development with Hamilton's Andy Blankenbuehler with musical writing partner Ethan D. Pechar. Douglas is a 2020 Jonathan Larson grant finalist. Yes, find him on Instagram at Chocolate Hipster if you want to follow him. And should we bring him into the room? You know what, Jason? This is the last person we're bringing into the Zoom room in season one. Let's do it, babe. Let's go. Let's go. Douglas, hi. Welcome to Survival Jobs, a podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm so excited. Oh, yeah. Do you you like going by Doug or Douglas? When I meet people for the first time or I'm introduced, I like Douglas. But then once we're kiki friends, Doug, totally fine. Okay. So to yeah. the listeners who are just meeting him for the first time, you may refer to him <laughs> as Douglas. I just want to say this is our season finale. So thank you for being here. And also it's fate. I know we were gabbing about this before we were recording people, but I just met Douglas and maybe I'll be able to call him Doug by the end of this episode. We'll see. <laughs> out this past weekend at the Glasshouse Tavern shout out. And I just love 
New York City for moments like these. And mm-hmm. Jason, you have a story also. Yeah, our friend Rachel introduced us uh, last year because I was doing the Bridgeport Film Fest and I was asking her for people who can help, you know, help with like advice and with getting, you know, shit done. And she recommended Douglas and we chatted. And then Samantha was like, I met this awesome guy at Glass House this weekend. He's amazing. <laughs> I want him on the podcast. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. And then I actually looked, I was like, wait, I know him. <laughs> so world. I know, I love that so much. So Small I really world. think fate has just brought us all here together in this Zoom room and we're stoked <laughs> to talk to you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So just to jump right in, you know, I don't know if you've had a ton of survival jobs in your life. I think you maybe started performing and getting those good, good artistic jobs pretty early on. Um, yes. but do you have a story from a survival job or one of your earlier artistic jobs that has po- positively impacted where you're at in your career today? Something that maybe is like your best survival or like one of your earlier jobs? So... When I graduated from the Hart School, I had already booked, luckily, um, the Dreamgirls National Tour. And that started at the Apollo Theater. And we did not start rehearsals in New York until September. And so I went from my college apartment to my New York City apartment with some of my best friends in Harlem. And because it was right around the corner from the Apollo. But I had two months to like hang out before we started rehearsal. And so I did a reading of a new musical. And then because I was living with um, Tracy Weiler, who is married now to Ken Davenport at the time, he had this business where you could pass out the flyers for like the falsettos and shows at oh, New York wow. stages. And this is, oh, this is going to be so bad. This is going to be so bad. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm ready. Right now. I'm oh, so ready. It just hit me. <laughs> no, I'm but, ready. I would stand out there and it would be very hot. And at the time, my father would come to New York because he was doing these like um, shuttling trips and stuff. (laughs) And sometimes on the clock, he would pick me up and we would have like lunch. And then I would come back. But part of it, part of it honestly is that you got commission based on people taking your flyer to the box office. And like early on, one day someone went like seven people or something like that went so uh, i like did well early on and then it sort of faded and then i felt sort of stupid but i knew i had a gig so that would be my like one survival job that i had in the city but i love it like ties right back into theater oh yeah it was totally Mm -hmm. theatrical and what's crazy is we had like a pre-party for chicken and biscuits um before opening night and i turn and tracy and ken are there um so that was like oh my gosh yeah and how how long ago was that if you don't mind me asking so i graduated in 2009 from the heart school so that was like july august of 2009 and then we started in september and you're from hartford like you're from connecticut originally i'm from new haven connecticut represent yes bridgeport and norwalk and norwalk a bunch of connecticut tns in the house how fun. Yeah. It's so funny. I, I'm on this email blast. I always get email blasts from Ken Davenport. Yep. He's been a friend and like really vocal and supportive and uplifting all these years. Um, mm. And I also really hold true people that were supportive and vocal prior to the success hitting. Mm-hmm. You know, people that made opportunities for you or showed up for you prior to all the things happening. 
And I feel like he's always sort of been one of those people. So thank you, Ken. Yes, and that's out. so important to like have those people and then remember that and clock that. So that's beautiful. Um, well, you've been in such iconic Broadway productions, such as Book of Mormon and Carol King Beautiful, as well as touring production of Rent. And you said you started with Dream Girls, right? Another iconic, iconic show. Um, was that, that was, I'm guessing that was your first major audition, right? For that? That was My, your first so one? Rent actually came first. So I oh. was at the Hart School in 2004 as a freshman, and I went on a hiatus for the 06-07 season because I went on tour gotcha. with Rent at 19. Um, I swung the national tour. So my first wow. real theatrical experience after six callbacks uh, over like a year <laughs> and a half period was for Rent. And um, I remember calling my father and saying, hey, you know, like I booked this thing. And he's like, okay, how much are they paying you? And, <laughs> first question. <laughs> yeah, always. A black father? Absolutely. How much are they paying you? Exactly. What, what does the coin look like? Um, and then uh, he said, you're going back to school. It was very important to him that I would complete my education. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I took the year off and, and toured, you know, around the U.S. and Canada and learned so much about myself and doing that show, which just meant so much and still means a lot to me um, for its oh, messages God. and love and the people. And yeah, so Rent was first. So you said you had six callbacks. Can you talk about your audition process? Like how you felt? What was it like? Yeah. Why my, was it six my, callbacks? Yeah, one of my <laughs> first auditions, um, a lot of them were open calls. And then like the last two or three were callbacks. Um, but one of the first ones I went to, I might've been like, 17 because i entered college at 17. um yes and i remember i think bob klein might have been casting that i don't know this is very early on um and i got in the room and i like started singing but i started shaking i was so nervous nervous yeah um, and i made it through the packet and he was like okay i'm gonna give you some extra sides here you can do this just keep working on it and i would go back one of the other auditions was the first day of sophomore year and then um january 11th 2006 i only remember it because i met my best friend that day that was another what? and then i met him at the audition and then april of that year um i think they called me in and then june of that summer i was finishing a gig upstate at Cortland rep and they called me in and then I had another call back in July when I was at a Gunkwit Playhouse and like between gigs and they still didn't know because they were having a turnover and it was a whole thing. Wow. And I was like, okay, by this date, I need to know because if I don't know, then I have to sign this other contract. The morning that I signed the contract on the 10 minute break, I checked my phone, it was two and two and I got the job. And so, yeah, just cra crazy life stuff that happens, but yeah, rent. I love that. Yeah. Wow. That is crazy. That's shady too. Six callbacks. That's like, come on, people. Let's go. Are you Don't you know me? what people welcome feel the, like? Welcome to the business. You know, right. I, as a as a writer, I would try to never waste someone's time that much. I feel like at a certain point, you know, you either know or you don't. Right. You know what come I mean? On. Come on. Yeah. What, what, so what's been your favorite production that you've been a part of as an actor? Was it Rent? It was rent, I think, for the music. Um, when you do the show 
in the touring production I was a part of in the original concept, there's a plaque backstage, like a wooden plaque that says, thank you, Jonathan Larson, that you would touch before you went out stage, on oh stage to sing Seasons of Love. There's just like moments, like my father flying to Detroit and falling asleep in the audience. Um, like there's just <laughs> moments. There are Sounds moments. like my mom. <laughs> Wait, did you see him sleeping or did you learn about it after? I, okay. So we're doing finale B singing, no day but to, you know, no day yeah, yeah, but yeah. today. And then you look at Angel, and then you look out, no day but today. And you look at the whole house. And I'm talking the good sleep where your mouth is agape. It was that kind of sleep. But he had also traveled <laughs> oh. from Connecticut to Detroit to meet his best friend and see the show. It was a whole thing. But I was yeah. like, what was the oh, point? Wow. What was the point of you coming into the show if you go fall asleep? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so good. Um, no, one of my favorite shows I would say would be beautiful because <clears throat> it was a coming of age story about a writer, which I sort of became in my own right. Um, I met some of my best friends. It was my first original cast. I joined the original cast of Mormon, but I wasn't there on opening night. But with Beautiful, I did the Tonys and the OBC cast recording and like all the view all the things i got like the the you know the big movement of what it is to put up a broadway show um good morning america we traveled to berlin to do press just like the works um and that that to me is something that will stay with me for the rest of my life so i would say beautiful yeah that's so amazing oh i'm so sorry you had to miss your first one for book of mormon though that's disappointing. Um, I mean, everything happens in the divine For time. reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I'm I'm glad. I my first rehearsal was on the Tony nomination announcement. Wow. So I like woke up, watched the Tony nominations, and then went to rehearsal. There was no cast recording when I joined the show, so I was learning everything by my tapes. It was a whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. You wake up, you see the Tony noms, and then you're like, okay, I'm going to go to rehearsal now, people. Bye. <laughs> like, that's so fierce. Oh, no big deal. Oh, Tony noms. I'm just going to go to my new job. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just, I was like, just focus, focus. You have, I was a swing in Mormon. So, like, I had to learn so many parts um, and like four different vocal harmonies. And, but it, it was the best. Once you learn the thing, then you can do the thing. Oh my god! I I give swings like so much credit. I can never do that to learn all those parts. Like, oh my god! <laughs> I mean, I'm I not a professional just gonna say that. musician, but I just can't. I was like all over the place. I feel like so. Kudos. Yeah, I mean, once you learn how you learn, and everyone learns different. I'm very mm -hmm. much like an audio learner. I do not like to read. I like to listen, <laughs> and so you know, instead of looking at the page, if putting down the vocal was an easier way for me to learn it. Let's just do that, you know? So you just mm -hmm. got to learn your process so you can show up and do your best. Wow. So let's talk about your transition, right? From playwright, from, from acting into like becoming a writer. Like what was that like for you? It happened simultaneously. So I was on and off at Beautiful. The first time I left was 2017 March and I hadn't mm -hmm. been with the show since August, uh, 2013. Um, and I was actively writing shows like Polka Dots, Peter Pan, Backstage at Beautiful, Chicken and Biscuits was written backstage at Beautiful. Both really? Written backstage at Beautiful, yeah. Because I had a break in the show. I had like a 45 mm. minute break. So I would do what we called the 12 minutes of slave. If you saw the show, you know what we're talking about. This is where all the black people were on stage for 12 minutes working very hard. And then we would make it. <laughs> um, 
and I would go in my dressing room after, you know, 12 minutes, I would put on my next wig or whatever, my robe, and I would write in the hallway. And so, um, wow. yeah, one of the first readings of Chicken and Biscuits, some of the cast members from Beautiful were in. Um, my pilot that got picked up for development, the first time we read it was backstage in Beautiful. So, yeah, that was like my hub. It became my home wow. in, a, in a beautiful way. And it was not just a, an acting gig, but it was like my own little, you know, like artistic mecca. Center. Yeah. I was I was really thinking to say, wow, that's so beautiful. Not meaning to <laughs> make a joke, but then I realized, well, yeah, no, but it is. That is so beautiful that you're like there performing art with all these artists and then just like spewing art out of you. And by the way, like fierce, great art that has gone on to hello, which will lead into Jason's next question. Yeah, well, I guess I want to know a little bit more about like the so you talked about the process of writing it backstage, but like, can you tell us more about what that journey was like? And congratulations on, on Chicken and Biscuits, by the way, but getting it from, you know, where it started at Backstage at Beautiful. So I think it was that in Queens, at the Queens Theater? Yeah. So one thing that I, when I teach and stuff, I tell mm -hmm. the youngins, because I'm young <laughs> as I used to Cheering. Um, <laughs> that connections and respect and impression really matters. And a lot of my development as a writer came off the heels of relationships I established as an actor. So the first reading that I did yes. out of college was called Becoming Tennessee at the director's company. And like seven years later, via Facebook, Leah Mikolas, who was the associate producer there, um, had been keeping tabs on me. And I reached out to her and I said, hey, you know, I'm probably leaving beautiful soon. <clears throat> I would love to have a residency somewhere. Um, and we had a meeting at the director's company, which at the time was on 43rd and between 8th and 9th in the uh, old Telsey building. And um, she said, yeah, I pitched her this idea, Bo, which is this actor musician piece now that we've like had a production of and it's been an option for Broadway and stuff. Um, but it was just an idea initially. And she said, yeah, have space. I ain't paying you anything, but like you can have space. And so I would write, I would go there sometimes and write. I would have actors come, I would have rehearsals there. And that became my residency. Bo and Chicken and Biscuits uh -huh. would be written in those walls. Workshops for both shows would happen in those walls. And um, on the second reading of Chicken and Biscuits, we had four and then a fifth virtually. I partnered with Terrence Sacramone, who's the executive director of the Queens Theater. But when I worked at Astoria Performing Arts Center, I believe she was the managing director at APAC. And so we made that contact. And then when she moved and she saw I was writing, she said, bring your work here. And Peter Pan, Polka Dots, Five Points, and Chicken and Biscuits have all been through Queens Theater because of that relationship, right? Um, and after that second reading of Chicken and Biscuits, it was evident because we did one in Manhattan and in Queens that there was something there. And she was like, you know, if you can get some enhancement, I would love to produce it. Um, and some wonderful producers, Leah from the director's company, um, Elliot, Clay Cornelius, and Pamela Ross took it to Queens. And that's how we got that first production. So it was the, those older connections, you know, and uh, following up with people that led to moments, new moments. It's so important that that message is shared and that story is shared. So thank you, because, you know, you always hear, you know, even at the 
freaking SAG awards last night. It's about the journey. Like don't disregard your journey. It's not about where you're going to be. And, and that's so like, look at all these connections and these people that you interacted with on your journey, essentially to then get you to where you are now. And this next mm-hmm. chapter of your journey, whatever's happening now will then get you to where you're going to be next. And I just think that's really so important. So thank you for detailing that so beautifully. For sure. I think we undervalue people when they can't offer us anything on site. I think that's mm. a huge mistake. Um, Johnny, who we were talking to, was the props master at Beautiful. And mm. I went to Glass House just being like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, have a salad and hang out. And I sat with him for an hour and we talked about life. You know, it's, um, no, it's very important, I think, to treat everyone you meet with the utmost respect, regardless mm. to what they do, because you just never know where they will be doing it next. Um, and people call for references and they ask (laughs) questions like, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not all how fierce you are. It's how well connected you are. You know, Mm -hmm. I I think that's kind of my movement is being kind and staying connected to people and keeping in touch with people and seeing what they're up to, et cetera. That's what I would say. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Jason. No, I was going to say, I always tell like when I talk to kids as well, like you just never know, like who you're going to meet and like how they're going to play part in your journey right and you got to be kind always be kind be gracious because every job like you said like I'm not on Broadway but like every job I've gotten in, in the arts has been because I know someone who was like oh hey Jason's a good person that's mm-hmm. my own horn but like Jason's a good person like do you want to work on this a good person. <laughs> you know like I've never did an archival before and someone was like hey give him a shot to do this archival thing you know so it's like I think that's like the most valuable lesson to tell people oh yeah and to piggyback on that Jason and, and what you were saying too, Douglas, about like being kind, like just being a kind person. And people remember that. Oh, let me give Jason this job. He's kind. Oh, let me remember Douglas to bring him along with me here because he's kind and also fierce. And you know what I mean? Like shitty mean people, I don't think are going to be as successful because you're shitty. <laughs> they, <mean. laughs> well, or they get, they, they are, but they have an association of those adjectives you know, shitty and mean. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And they still work, you know, but I just, I've learned it's just not worth it. And at the end of the day, you're a human first and like all going to eat in this business Mm -hmm. in our own way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So just be kind because, you know, now transitioning into more TV film stuff. My first TV job was working on Fraggle Rock and I met people via zoom who I had to give them a sense of who I was as a human being. I worked mm-hmm. on the TV show for 20 weeks and had not met my showrunners for like a year and a half or something crazy like that, you know? So mm-hmm. it, it really pays to be chill, <laughs> you know, and cool and also do your job really well. But, mm-hmm. um, I paid a lot more attention to dynamic and collaboration and personality before I'm just like, I'm going to work with you because you fierce. I'm like, yeah. Are you like crazy? Are you like selfish? <laughs> like what is what are the yeah. other parts of you? Because it's a really every collaboration is a relationship. A hundred percent. And Love I know that. you just, just gave a lot of like great wisdom, but do you have specific advice that you usually like to give to young actors who are looking to actors or artists or writers, anybody looking to pursue a career in the arts in addition to all the great advice you just gave (laughs) like for sure um yeah pour your most authentic self into your work because that is where people will relate to you 
the moment that I started on social media speaking from not a place of fear, but a place of truth, the moment that I started telling my stories as I see fit is the moment I had a breakthrough in my career, my writing career, because I wasn't trying to write towards what I think people wanted. I wrote my truth and my experience. And there was abundantly, it was abundantly clear that there were people who also related. Wow. Yeah. I love so that. that. That was my sort of turning point. And now I'm like, oh, I'm just going to be me. Yeah. Like I just had a call, <laughs> like a general right before this. Mm -hmm. And I love, I love Hollywood because there's a lot more black people that are execs, but for 50 minutes, I giggled with this woman. Like she was my cousin, you know, like <laughs> and I have not met her, but that's that just being me and just picking up, you know, and we, <laughs> we met because of the play, she had read the play and we talked about it, but we talked about life too, you know, just bringing in your authenticity is the, is the secret sauce. It's the mm. one thing that nobody else has. Right. Yeah. And, is and what also, you specifically bring your DNA. And I also think a lot of artists are scared to do that are scared to be themselves and show who they are because it's not the right type or, or it's not the way you're supposed to speak when you're in an audition mm. or this person and, and all of that is a bunch of BS. So <laughs> what, what's interesting bullshit. is like, <laughs> They really, they actually want more of you because the more they see of you, they know more of what's going to be contributed to the project. For so if sure. you're trying to fill, you know, an archetype of what should be. Or like a cookie cutter. Yeah. Yeah. That's less interesting because everybody's trying to do that. Mm -hmm. So come in and be like, I'm a little messy today. Y'all, I'm a little crusty, but we're going to do this. Here we go. Yeah. What's my note? You know? There's a quote I used to write in all of my bios and all of the plays in high school that says something like this, and it will come to me before the end of this episode. And I will be happy to tell you. Was it, y'all, I'm crusty, but here we go? <laughs> something like, be yourself, because if you're like everyone else, what do they need you for? Something like that. Just so you know. Is it be yourself because everyone else is taken? Yeah, is it that? <laughs> no, no. I've heard similar. that. Who said that? RuPaul, who said that? I heard. I, I learned that from this um, wonderful old um, like Jewish woman at this Jewish camp I worked at. Yeah, I don't know if that was Ru. Somebody said someone said that, but yes, that's, that's RuPaul says mind. something. RuPaul does say something. Anyway, uh, well, we heard that you're nominated for a Glad Award for Chicken and Biscuits. Congratulations. Oh, look how excited you are. Tell us, like, how like, well, obviously you're excited. You see, oh, seeing your face. I, that's but major. That's huge. I okay, first of all, I <laughs> am so I I am well aware of the politics of theater and all of the things that are Broadway. And like I've prepared myself just to be like, you're not gonna be nominated for anything, like just no expectations, just like let there's so much coming, right? And so when Michael Yuri texted me, he was like, okay, glad nominee. I was like, what? <laughs> I it, I literally, I was like, oh, they, they saw the play and they like, they got the play and it was queer. And like, oh man, <laughs> like, yes. I literally felt that way for about 24 hours. So I, I have the date, Mesa, it's in my calendar. I don't care what is happening on that day. I will be at that. And whether you we have lose to. or when or whatever, I just... It's an honor and it's so cool that the work is being recognized for part of its intention, which is that intersectionality of queerness and blackness. Blackness, yeah. Um, and what that looks like in the theater, which you often don't see. I love that. 
that's so important because if those things line up but sometimes people think they like they don't run parallel to each other which is like a weird thing yeah they do congratulations that's amazing like I can't even imagine what you must be feeling like to have this show on Broadway. It's such like a pivotal time for Broadway too. It's such an mm-hmm. important time. So congratulations on that for Thank for you. having a voice and piercing it through audiences. Are the we can watch the Glad Awards, right? Jason, maybe yeah. we'll live stream it on Survivor's Yes, I don't. I don't, I don't know. know. They're having two of them. They're having like an LA and a New York. I don't know what that's mm. about. You're like, I'm uh, going to both. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm just going to show up. <laughs> I'd be so excited. No, I just, I'm, I, I get inspired by uh, award shows. And st- I just, I get inspired by them because so often we skip the journey. The reason I share so much on social media, and I think people misconstrue this, is because I know there are thousands of people following who want to write, who do poetry, who want to direct. And people often see the success, but there are people that saw Chicken and Biscuits from like my first draft page that I posted to Broadway, right? So they were a part of that journey socially to watch the climb. And I think it's so easy to be like, I'm on the red carpet now, look at me, instead of like, actually, I got a no here and this project got dropped and this was not a success, but then this came through and like, I'm still at it. And oh my God, like it's happening. You know, I think we don't talk about process enough um, we really, mm. really like idolize success, but most of success is process. For sure. Can you share a story from a time where you got like so many no's and you were feeling defeated and, and exactly what you were just saying? Like, let's look at all the success now, but where, what was that moment when you mm. were like, what the hell is going on? Good like, question. what am I going to do? Well, I had the blessing of always having the acting sort of in the back, you know, um, like beautiful was the backdrop. So there was a moment though where I was pitching polka dots, definitely chicken and biscuits, trying to find places. I got feedback that was like, oh, we've seen this before, um, change the title. I've said this before publicly, but I don't think, you know, the difference in what I've experienced, my experience only in Hollywood is that there's a lot more space and execs and developmental people to meet. So even if they don't have a job for you, they'll meet with you and and speak with you about your work and they will have read your work. And in theater, it's so small and insular that there's not enough space for people to really forge relationships. I took polka dots, for instance, to a couple of places uh who were like great what do you want me to do with this and i'm like produce it what do you mean what what do you yeah. <laughs> obviously like, uh, uh hello what the fuck? you know like what do you mean um <laughs> and so that hustle earlier on was difficult because it's working in conjunction with your agent but you also want to create your own relationships and getting people to read and take you seriously because you know i an actor and now you're a writer. Oh, really? You're right. Okay. Okay. He's a writer. Okay. You know, um, getting over that hump and getting people to take you seriously. And then people seeing the show being like, Oh, wow, that was decent. That was okay. And I'm like, you could have read it two years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I think the self hustle and the persistence to get your work over the threshold is the hardest part of theater specifically. Um, that is something that I actively want to sort of figure out how to break, that there's just more access for people to be seen. Places like Musical Theater Factory are excellent because you can go and 
play with your work. You can bounce around and figure out New York Theater Barn, you know? So that's the hardest part, I would say, of the writing is feeling like no one cares for your story. Griffin Matthews wow. said to me a long time ago, and I'll never forget this. He's like, nobody cares until everybody cares. Yep. Wow. Which and is then, fascinating. Yeah. And just to tie that back to what you said at the beginning of the episode is remembering the people who cared before everyone cared. It's Baby so boom. Here we go. Tying it all together. Boom. <laughs> there we go. Because the people are going to show Preach. up. They're going to show oh, up yeah, in the DMs. They're going to come knocking. They show yep. up. Yeah. And, and it's not hostile either. It's like, no, thank you. I appreciate it. But I'm never going to forget who was like, hey, I see potential here. Mm -hmm. Let's talk. Right? I just got chills. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the easy part. Showing up, you know, on a carpet, that's easy. Yeah. But I'm talking about when we're like, you know, down on Lafayette Street in a little dance studio and mm -hmm. you show up. Mm -hmm. I remember those people. And I also try to bring those people with. So four of the women who were in the world premiere production of Queens made their Broadway debut with the show. Oh, yeah. We made over 30 wow. Broadway debuts with Chicken and Biscuits I on and off stage. That. Oh, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Especially after the goddamn shutdown, too, to have Broadway debuts like that. That's major. And they shined. Oh, man. <laughs> I still I still am pitching myself. Because the pandemic puts a fog over everything. So things feel real. But then they don't. I feel that. Know. I don't even know yeah. what day or year it is anymore. So I'm like, <laughs> is this real life yeah. or yeah, what? Yeah, <laughs> like, are we, this is a podcast, but like, what day is it, you know? And is this actually a podcast? Like, where <laughs> are we? <laughs> I guess I'm going to jump to this question because, I mean, it's a question that I, I feel like everyone of color always gets, right? But I think it's important for us to like also talk about it. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you. Like, do you have any thoughts or suggestions on how Broadway can be even more inclusive, right? I know there was a, a huge, like, oh, there was seven new plays by by Black writers last season, but, like, okay, There's, there was there was seven plays of white writers for, like, literally, literally decades, so, like, yeah, thoughts, yeah. There's two points that I think of that I think could be effective change, which is sharing space, which is who is in control of who gets in, Right? Access, right? Mm -hmm. Access, um, meeting with people that you don't know and not just with their scripts, but meeting them as human beings, potentially, right? So the first time that you meet me aren't just my words, but it feels like you know me as a human being. So then you understand my words when you read them. That is vital. Oh, that just got me. Because it's important. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. You read a script and you're like, oh, did that move me? If you meet someone, you have context for something, you, you might have a different reaction to it. I think that's one thing. The second thing are these reviewers. I just, I ask theater the question. I ask myself this question, three questions when I write something. Who do, who do I want to reach? What do I want to say? And how can I be paid to do it again? are the things that I ask myself. And I have learned and like coming to, you know, Broadway with the show, who I wanted to reach was maybe beyond the audience that usually comes to Broadway. I definitely figured out what I wanted to say. 
Um, it has been beautiful in you know ways to bless me with things that I can be paid to do it again. So that's great. Um, but when the system of theater is controlled by a certain perspective and reviews, and you go and see something that you maybe don't understand, and you review it from your perspective, like I just was reading something this morning, um, where a reviewer had seen a play written by a black woman. And what did he what did he say? It was like, it's trying too hard for me. That was the quote. It's trying too wow. hard, comma, for me. And in my head, I went, maybe this play is not for you. Yeah. Hello? Did you think about exactly. that? Did you think about that? <laughs> it's maybe not for you. So, you know, a black yeah. woman expressing herself and the analogy that she used in the play is trying too hard for you. Who is probably a white man. You, yeah. Like, yeah. step back. <laughs> If y'all really want to make space and create change, let's be careful of the language we use and the perspectives that we have on work that is not our own. You didn't live a chicken and biscuits. You may not understand it. It may not be funny to you, and that's totally cool. But do not delete the experience of the rest of the audience 100%. if they are enjoying it. Wow. It is not for you. Shut the f that makes me mad. But you know what I mean? Like th these, are, <clears throat> these are the small details that I think keep the theater from blooming because if a review right. says that that's a trickle down effect then you have mm -hmm. theater you know uh uh like not owners necessarily but like theater developmental people artistic directors etc looking at these reviews the imprint of those words make you know make an impact on the way they think and how they program mm -hmm. the reviewers you know th what is read from those reviews affect people coming to see it and if something like that will be programmed again, it gets stuck in this wheel, this cog yeah. of like, well, so-and-so said it wasn't working. We probably shouldn't, you know, like if, if that affects the sales, then it, you know, like it's just, mm -hmm. that for me is a really big problem that we need to address. And we need to differentiate, like structurally speaking, that was, this did not make sense to me, structurally speaking, but emotionally, yeah. or culturally speaking, I'm not, maybe this was not for me to understand and i need to either get someone in place that could understand it and critique it at that level or step back and that that for me wow. is a little bit of like what i'm feeling now as a as a writer and an artist in this field is like if you don't get it it doesn't mean it didn't land you know what i mean <laughs> so those yeah. are a yeah. couple things that i'm like i I would hope because unfortunately reviews have a lot of power in theater and the way that like mm -hmm. a show could be so, so on TV or a movie could be whatever, but catch on as a cult classic. No one's running to the Los Angeles times to be like, Oh my God, what did they say? <laughs> no, they turn, they go to the movie and they see it for themselves or they go to rotten tomatoes, which is written by mm -hmm. other viewers, but they don't lean on that one thing. And I think structurally speaking, that old system could break us for our future. The fate of work and art is essentially put into the hands of one person from the New York Times, right? Everyone's always waiting on opening night to see if it's a critic's pick and see what the Isn't New York Times says and mm -hmm. da, da 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 But exactly, what if that person at the New York Times can't understand this art? Because by the way, not everybody's going to understand and appreciate art 
obviously, because art is subjective. Hello. And that's what's yeah. so beautiful about art. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to assume that all of our art should be viewed in the same vision and taste. And that there is one way to do it, or there is one taste that is preferable in the space. Mm-hmm. And what I thought we were talking about for the past two years is making the space more equitable mm. so that like chicken and biscuits was not written to be, you know, Virginia Wolf. Like that was, that's not what we were going for. Okay. We're going a little for bit. Sure. A little Tyler Perry, <laughs> a little Norman Lear. Like we were mixing it up, but mm-hmm. like make space for that. And don't try to fit it into what you think it should be. And into I, the box, and yeah. Into the box of what, how a story should be. You are missing out on millions of stories because people go, well, they're not going to understand me. And that's where young writers of color go, well, I don't want to do this. And then we miss out on that's so true. many voices. Right. And they go to Hollywood and they, you know, do other things because they don't have to worry. People understand their voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a new perspective for me. And it's not to say that things should not be reviewed and critiqued. I just think the system that we lean in on them and give them power actually ultimately takes away from the art form itself. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of what that movie, uh, is it Birdman, right? Michael Keaton. And um, it's about like how they had that play and like that one reviewer is like kind of holds the fate of this play in their hands, right? And then on top, like that's like a white play, right? That's a very kind of like, forward kind of play of like a kind of more universal story but something from a black experience having like that that kind of like power taken away from it you know like, i don't know that's just like really profound that you said that and i hope people can reevaluate how we do reviews or that whole process right or like actually let the reviews be conversations mm. What if what if what if Hello? every publication mm-hmm. sent someone from you know if there is a queer a queer centric story, mm-hmm. you invite you know a more traditional reviewer and then a queer reviewer and they have a conversation Station. about the piece. Like let it let it actually let us pour into our art form in a way that is uplifting it and critiquing it, holding it accountable, not giving yeah. passes, but like yeah. what yeah. if it was a conversation instead of like a, I didn't get it, it tried too hard okay well some people could have been moved to tears so is their experience invalid and your one experience speaks for the life of the piece we have to get away from that or we are Mm -hmm. literally digging our own grave and by the way isn't that the point of theater to have conversations to make us think to make (laughs) us learn and talk and feel yeah wow thank you so much for sharing that that was i'm like oh damn (laughs) (laughs) well because it's systemic it's the system has been one thing but for me i especially in the skin i can't navigate the system as is i'm bringing Mm. something different a hundred percent and so how do we make space for the difference because the the world has changed in the past two years and we have to change with it and i don't know that we're thinking that way we're they're thinking that way we're thinking that way in the sense of like yelling about it and not necessarily doing the steps to mm-hmm. make the change just like mm-hmm. jason said like there was that big article and big photo shoot seven black playwrights on broadway this season just like jason said okay let's showcase that but let's keep let's keep that consistent there were seven white playwrights for decades okay mm-hmm. so like let's keep it going instead of being like 
look what we did. Look mm-hmm. at us making a change. <laughs> look, look, look. That's the thing. It's like less verbal, more action, mm-hmm. less pat on the back. You know, I I love the firsts that are happening, um, but you don't get a pass. You don't get applause for that. Not in 2022. What breaks my heart is like, I really do love the theater. And in the past Mm -hmm. two years, I've learned to care more about the people than the product. Mm -hmm. And I just don't always know if we're caring about people with our stories at this level. But I also that think was... also that will also affect, you know, if Broadway can be, because Broadway is Broadway, right? That's like the, the pinnacle of theater, right? If that can happen there, if we can have these, these conversations and actually not just be performative, right? Not just show, but actually do, that will hopefully trickle down, right? To the more regional theaters and hopefully to the community theaters. And then we can really, really make this change on so many different levels. Hopefully, Yeah, right? Yeah, I, something I've been very vocal about is that, um, I had this hashtag very early on in my writing career called Jobs for All, where I was like, I'm writing mm-hmm. to create jobs for people. And then I stopped hashtagging. I think I just got tired of it. But <laughs> um, today it was announced that Chicken and Biscuits is getting a regional, its first announced regional production in Arkansas at Theater Squared. Amazing. And there's some other ones yes. announced as well. And what that is going to do, the dream was always to create something that could live in the canon of American theater in the way that A Raisin in the Sun does. Right, Hansberry. So Mm -hmm. I, when I am long gone, that play will be done, and it will be employing people of color and queer people for the rest of time. That was the assignment, as they say, and I believe we understood it. You understood it. You passed. I understood the assignment. (laughs) That is that is what that to me is when I say caring about people. Mm -hmm. It's like the success on Broadway is something to be warranted, and there's a lot of money to be made. But when I'm thinking about people. There's going to be five black women in principal contracts per mm. company of chicken and biscuits. Yes. You're giving me okay. chills after, after chills after chills after <laughs> chills over here. I'm like, let's go. Wow. Congratulations. Care about the Thank people you. and not the product. Thank you so much for everything you've shared with us and all of your wisdom and all of your stories. This has been amazing. So we do end every episode with a game. Uh-oh. So I hope you're ready and I hope you have your competitive pants on. Um, uh, before we get to that game, do you have a dream role or collaboration or script or, or what's your dream artistic job assignment, whatever that means to you? I want to have some TV things in development and I want to create a television show that lives um, also a film or like animated musical project. Um, those are like the next level thoughts. Uh, and I think they're possible. I think they're possible. Yes, um, they are. So th- I want to turn a chapter sort of in the Lin-Manuel effect, as I call it, and mm. what he's doing to bridge Hollywood and Broadway is something I want to do in this black voice. Um, yeah. I love that. Um, can you share what's next for you? What's coming up so we can have all of our listeners check it out? I would check out um, Bo the Musical, which is on Spotify and iTunes, if you want to actually buy it. Um, and I have a new play, Invisible, that's in development. Uh, I have some TV projects, but I, you never can really talk about what they are. Right. <laughs> 
sucks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, when they're out, we'll put it on blast. Yeah, there's some developmental things happening there. Um, yeah, yeah, that's kind of where we are in what I can talk about, which I hate being elusive, but it just constantly. It is listen, what it I'm is. Not listen. nobody gonna sue me, not not me today. <laughs> I'm about to get me. Nope. Not today. Ooh, I love that. Not today. Not today. <laughs> All right, Jason, All right. should we jump into the game? Yeah, let's hit that music. We want to do some Black Broadway trivia with you, if that's okay. Oh, it's the last day of Black History Month, and you had an amazing Black-ass play on Broadway, so okay. it, was very, it was very fitting. Okay. I'll give you a lifeline if you need. I'm nervous. <laughs> I just got real stiff. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> okay, so Slave Play was the most nominated play in the history of the Tony Awards. Do you know how many nominations it received? Twelve. Oh, Correct. Ding, ding, ding. Okay. okay, next. Dreamgirls was nominated for 13 Tony Awards. How many did it win? Oh, um, is this multiple choice? It's not, <laughs> but you could you could phone a friend. Uh, one. Oh, seven. So close. Six? Yes. yes. Eight. Six. Okay. Six. <laughs> Six. Six. And you started okay. with an S, so I'll give it to you. True or false? The Wiz won the Tony Award for Best Musical. True. Correct. Ding, ding, ding. True. There you go. <laughs> Correct. This legendary Black actress won the Tony Award for Best Lead Actress in the 2013 revival of The Trip to Bountiful. Cicely Tyson, directed by What Michael a queen. Wilson. Yes. R.I.P. Uh, okay, last one. Who was the first Black woman to win a Tony Award for Lead Actress? This is multiple choice. A, Whoopi Goldberg. B, Diane Carroll. C, Vanessa Williams. Or D, Cheryl Lee Ralph. By timeline, it would be Diane Carroll, but that could be a trick question. Oh, trick. God. <laughs> Let's go with Whoopi. Oh, it was Diane right. Carroll. It was Diane. Okay, I thought <laughs> yeah. that was a trick question. See, in 1962, Diane Carroll became the first African-American winner in the lead role to win a Tony Award. She won her role as Barbara Woodruff in Richard Rodgers' musical, No Strings. Work. Great job, though. You actually oh, did a wait. great job. You killed it. Congrats. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That was our season one finale. I know. You're our last it. guest. Thank you so much. Wait, where can everybody find you? Where can I find you? I don't think I'm following you. Come on, let us all know. The T. Yes. Chocolate Hipster <laughs> on Instagram. Mm. Chocolate Hipster. <laughs> Douglas Sings on Twitter. And then I have like a website, douglaslines.net. Um, and linesandpackchar.com has our sheet music uh, as well. Yes. Thank I you love so that. much. Thank you. This is all. I'm so glad I met you. And like. <laughs> I know. I just yeah. walked right over to that table. I was like, hey, Johnny. I was like, hi, I'm Samantha. Yeah, but thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This is yeah. awesome. You're amazing. Um, y'all are rock stars. And, yes, uh, yeah. so are you. I mean, obviously, if you just listen to this episode, obviously, Douglas is a rock star. <laughs> and maybe we're allowed to call him Doug now. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see after we stop I recording. 
Oh my yes. gosh, that is so lucky. <laughs> and, and if you guys are tuning in because you're a Douglas fan, as you should be, and you're not following us yet, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Survival Jobs Pod and on Facebook, which we don't use at Survival Jobs a Podcast. <laughs> and if you want to hear our guests, shoot us an email at survivaljobspod at gmail.com. Yeah, I was going to say follow Samantha, Sammy Toots on Instagram. Come on, you need some fans. Thank you. <laughs> Let's get it up and follow my yeah. boy Jason Coombs at Jason, Jason A. Coombs. Yeah, you always forget. <laughs> I awesome. said it. Jason he Adrian. Did. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so Thanks, much, Douglas. Douglas. Absolutely. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.